this is Ecclesiastes 7, 7 uh, to verse 18. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. Let me pray for us. Lord, guide our hearts now. Uh, speak to us uh, from your word. Uh, you say that it doesn't return void, uh, but that your Holy Spirit applies it to us. And so apply uh, this text to our hearts and may it encourage us, Lord. Um, strengthen us and give us wisdom uh, for the life that you've called us to. So we need that. We need you. Uh, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right. Have a seat. <clears throat> well, we've been in this wisdom series, and we're, we've got a couple more weeks in it. And um, what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, out of the text that uh, Katie just read for us in Ecclesiastes 7 is the reality of wisdom and our limitations as uh, human beings, and even in particular, our limitation with wisdom, like our, our limitation to be able to understand uh, life uh, and the difficulty of life. And so uh, Ecclesiastes as a book is full of that thought uh, that there's, uh, you know, written by a guy who basically pushed everything to its limits and then came to the conclusion that there's limits to pleasure, there's limits to wealth, there's limits uh, to wisdom and understanding, there's, there's limits, you get to your limit. And when I say uh, the word limits or limitations to y'all, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe, uh, I think for me, I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear that word. Like, I don't like limits. Uh, Hands-free Tennessee, how many of you have already broken that limitation. I need to see your hands right now. Yes, right? We live in a world of unlimited, right? I remember when I first owned a cell phone. Uh, this would have been back in like, like late 90s. And that was back when you got like 450 minutes per month, right? And you had to like really pay attention to every single minute that you used because it cost like 45 cents a minute after that 450 minutes, right, I got like a $750 phone bill 
when I was 21 because I didn't, I didn't pay attention to my limits and it cost me, right? I don't like limits. When we're given a limitation, I think uh, it's, it's a part of our nature, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like this, it's a part of our sin nature. And we'll get to why that's the case, to push back against those limits. We see it as infringing on our choices, our freedoms, our wants, and there's something about limitations that make me focus on me almost more than anything else. Like there was a tree down outside of the school uh, that basically was preventing traffic on, on the opening day of school or one of these days of school this week for people coming through here. And so we had to direct traffic for the school um, because people were using this, the parking lot as a cut through. And uh, it was amazing. So I'm standing over there at the, uh, the entrance because cars are supposed to come this way and people are coming this way. And I'm keeping people from using it as a cut through, which basically means I start off my morning in an insane amount of conflict with a bunch of strangers, right? But it was amazing. It's like, you can't drive through this parking lot. Why not? Well, because this is where school drop-off is happening. Well, how am I supposed to get to my house? I have no idea how to get to your house. I don't even know where you live. But well, when's the tree going to be cut up? Again, I have no idea. I, do I look like a, an arborist? I don't know. I, you just can't drive through here. There's a limitation, right? And what did limitations do? Immediately, it was like we were in this argument. I was, I was personally offending this person, right? Limitations focus us on ourselves in, in kind of a bizarre way. But yet, limitations are our reality, aren't they? Like, to be human is to be limited. Like we, maybe you know your Enneagram number. You can't be all the numbers, right? I'm a two, by the way, in case anybody's wondering. I know, all the twos in the room just cheered for me. <laughs> limitations are, are real. To be human is to be limited. And in fact, Scripture would say limitations are good for us. And to not embrace them, the wisdom literature would say is folly. It's not wisdom. And it... If we don't embrace our limitations, it'll actually only invite more pain, more confusion, more trauma into our lives. I would argue that even the past three weeks as we've talked about money, you know, wisdom in money or wisdom in the use of our tongues and our words or wisdom in sex, all of that was talking about limits and boundaries around good things, right? But that when there are no limits and no boundaries, those things become massively destructive in our lives. They're good things that have gone too far. So three things that I want us to consider in this passage about living with wisdom as it pertains to our limitations and wisdom's call or God's call, because remember, wisdom isn't just knowledge, it's a person. It's the Lord calling to us to embrace our limits, even our limits and our ability to understand what he's up to, right? So three things, limitations awaken self-preservation, which I've kind of said a few things about that already, but we'll see how much more I have to say. Limitations awaken self-preservation. Harm in not embracing our limitations. And then thirdly, uh, embracing your limitations. How to start that begins by being embraced in your limitations. Okay? Embracing your limitations begins by being embraced in your limitations.
limitations. All right, first thing, limitations awaken self-preservation. So now, it's hard sometimes when we read these, these chunks of the wisdom literature because they can seem, and sometimes they are, just these like standalone statements of wisdom, and there isn't a lot of connection with the next statement. A lot of times when we read on the surface, that's like, man, this seems like he's talking about this, and then he's talking about this. But if we look closely, I think we can see, and hopefully we will as we get into the text, we'll see threads that kind of weave themselves, thoughts that weave themselves throughout the whole text. So what does 7, verses 7 to 12, all have in common? So he's talking about extortion and bribery and getting angry and quickly provoked in your spirit and money and nostalgia. <laughs> Seems like a bunch of random disconnected thoughts. What do these all have in common? And I think they all speak to the reality of our tendency in the face of limitations to turn towards self-preservation, to turn towards control, to turn towards our own self-benefit. All the focus becomes about me when I bump up against the limit, okay? So look at extortion and bribes here. For those of you who are extorting people and bribing people today, kidding, but maybe you are. <laughs> who knows? You have to think about that. Let the Lord lead you. Seven and eight, verse seven. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool. So the person is wise, right? And they become a fool through extortion. A bribe corrupts the heart. Let's think about this for a second. Why would somebody extort and bribe somebody? Like, if you're in a position where you have to extort somebody or bribe somebody, it's probably because you're already in a position where you've lived beyond a limit, right? You've already crossed a limit, a threshold. And whatever you cross that threshold for, you're trying to protect that now, and so I'm trying to keep that, I'm trying to keep that thing that I've, I've, I've acted on and protect that, that me first. I'm trying to protect something that I value, and I'm trying to control my future through extortion or through bribes. Those are manipulating and trying to control your life or those in your life to protect your own interest. It made me think of the movie The Untouchables, right? You guys remember that with Elliot Ness and, or Kevin Costner and Sean Connery? Right? Should I do the rest of the sermon in Sean Connery's accent? Like, I don't think I could do it. But Remember, they had such a hard time even finding cops to work with them to bring down, uh, was it Capone? Yeah, Capone, right? Because why? He, he was basically protecting all of his interests through extortion and bribe. He had the whole police force on a payroll. That's what extortions and bribes do. A bribe is, a, is a you, it's the ultimate you for me, right? I'm giving you a gift in order to secure something for myself. Why? Because when I'm bumped up against, in Capone's sense, I'm bumped up against the limitation to protect my interests. Limitations invoke, they, they create this mindset of scarcity, right? You should think about that for a second. My ability to control my life, my ability to control the things, the, the way that I want things, I, when I bump up against that, I get, I get this, this scarce mindset that kind of creeps in, this fear that creeps in. What is scarcity? Scarcity is the limited availability of something that I believe I've got to have for life, right? 
That's what scarcity is. Oh. So when I hit a limit, things start feeling scarce, and I, I lock down, and I can do things like extort and bribe. I think you could argue that all the way back in the Garden of Eden, this is Genesis 3, that limitations awoke in Adam and Eve a self-preservating instinct. Satan comes in, what does he do? He says, I'm going I'm to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a lie. And he questions what? The limit that God had put on them. They are in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden with everything they need, right? Him and everything. And yet there's one limit. I don't want you to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had put a limit on his creation, and Satan in his lie, didn't he create a sense of scarcity? That you actually lack something, Adam and Eve. Something that you need for your good. Something that you need for your life. God's holding out on you. Break the limit. Take, eat. Scripture says that that's when folly or that's when sin entered the world. Sin entered the world by not embracing God's limit on his creation. How about verses 8 and 9? We've talked about extorting and bribes for those of you doing that. 8 and 9, this is a little more personal. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. What's he talking about? The end of the matter is better than the beginning. Patience better than pride. Don't be quickly provoked. He's painting a picture of the difference between coming to snap judgments, right? Quick judgments, quickly provoked in your spirit, and a posture of patience, which we know is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, why do we rush to conclusions quickly? We've talked about extortion and bribe, right? I do that to control my life. Why do I rush to conclusions quickly? Why don't I have patience? Why am I quickly provoked in my spirit? Why don't I have, as Scripture would say, you know, the opposite of, uh, or the, the fruit of, of living with limitations is self-control, right? Why don't I have self-governed limitations on my spirit, my spirit's response? I'll tell you, for me, when I find myself in a situation where I'm quickly provoked and there's no patience, it's usually because I've become afraid. Whatever the circumstance is going on, I'm afraid of what's happening right now. I'm afraid of the outcomes of what's happening right now. And again, I want to move immediately to a place of control. If I don't get this situation under control, then what's going to happen, right? I act quickly... Because I believe that if I don't, it could all come apart, and then what? And I get angry, right? I'm provoked in my spirit. I get angry because what I love and what I depend on, the thing that my hope is in, is being threatened. Which, being angry about what you love can be a good thing, right? Unless what you love is something that you overlove and depend on it more than, than the Lord. It says there the anger resides in the lap of fools. It's kind of an interesting word 
word image. It's hard to have something in your lap unless you're sitting, right? It's a picture of saying, when I'm angry, I'm, I'm stuck and I'm kind of immovable, right? It's sitting in my lap. He's saying, how I think about this is the way to think about this. Again, when I'm bumped up against my limitations to control my situations, I find myself oftentimes hating that because my control is exposed, so I get quickly provoked. I get angry. What about nostalgia? He says there, do not say, why were the old days better than these for it is not wise to ask such questions. I need somebody way even older than me to come up and tell, tell us the answer to this one. What's he getting at? What is nostalgia? For me, when I think of that word, I think of trying to regain the mojo of the past, right? You ever, you ever have a great party? I've been to parties before that were amazing. And you get done with a party and you're like, dude, we need to do this again next year. And then you do it again next year and, and you're kind of at the party and you're realizing we can't, we just can't quite get there, can we? Like, I can't recreate that moment. And so nostalgia is is. Another form of, and what he's saying there is, just, I'm, I'm trying to regain the past, things in a certain way, things the way I like them. So I'm going to try to preserve or I'm going to try to recreate that if I just get the right formula, right? What he's talking about really is the limits of time, the limitations of time, like the season of life that we're in, Right? Like, do any of you struggle? <laughs> this is a rhetorical question that you're all going to say yes to. Do any of y'all struggle with the season of life you're in? And spend a lot of time fantasizing about a different season in your life? <laughs> I'm doing it right now, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Is it possible that you're bumping up against that limit. And, and I'll be honest, we, we live in a culture that basically has encouraged us that you can have your 20s in your 40s, right? You, you can have everything that you had in every season, just keep adding, adding, and adding. What wisdom here is saying, no, 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 you're not embracing your limits. You're not embracing the limits of the fact that you're a parent now and you don't have the free time that you used to. And that's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Oof, What? Is it possible that I'm bringing all sorts of pain into my life because I'm just not embracing the limits of the time and the season of life that I'm in? I'm not saying that's easy, but he's saying it's wise. And lastly, he says it's money. Wisdom is an inheritance. It's a good thing. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge or wisdom is this. It preserves those who have it. It preserves you. He's saying, <clears throat> money, no matter how much of it I get, it can't shelter my life, it can't preserve my life the way that wisdom can. Proverbs 18 
says this, the name of the Lord is a, is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Yet the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. <laughs> it's basically saying your wealth, it's an imaginary wall that you think is too high to scale, but it, it can't hold. It's not wisdom. So, when we're faced with our limitations, and we see how it plays itself out in extortion and bribes and nostalgia and our snap judgments and our, our anger and trying to control the situations of our lives through money, all of these areas. When I'm faced with my limitations, my flesh and my sin, and I have an enemy in this, remember? The, the tempter, the deceiver, who invites me to a place of self-preservation and invites me to a place of control. He says, he says don't, don't embrace that limit. Push through that limit. Don't let God be God. You be God. And the author here is warning us. With all of that effort, with all of that trying to preserve and to control our times, right? He says, when the times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. <laughs> He's warning us. <laughs> He's warning us as somebody who had incredible wisdom, is what this book says. He had incredible wealth. He had incredible control over every aspect of his life. And he's coming to this conclusion. You can't discover anything. You can't control anything. You are limited. You're not going to find what you're looking for. And all of that effort and all of that control and all of that desire to understand, no one can discover anything about their future. So limitations awaken self-preservation and he, he basically says to us the second thing, which I said I'd say, which is this, we do harm when we don't embrace our limitations. When we don't have self-control, is what scripture would say, when it comes to the limitations that are real for us. He says there that it's folly, right? It turns a wise person into a fool. He says that it will corrupt your heart. A bribe corrupts the heart just basically saying it's not just a standalone event when I don't embrace my limitations. It actually starts a process of corruption in my heart, right? Like I didn't say this um, during the sermon on intimacy. I'll use that word since there are other people in this room. Um, the sermon we preached last week. But <clears throat> I actually believe this after studying for a lot of these sermons that many folks lust problems in that area of their life, in, in the area of sex in their life, many lust problems are money problems first. That if I practice no limits, because we grew up in a culture that, right, when we said this about money, money is mine, I earned it, it's for my use and my own pleasure, right, that's, that's kind of our cultural value as it pertains to money. If I practice and I grew up in an environment and we use money a lot more than we, what we talked about last week, right? If I practice no limits in one area of my life, like money, I don't embrace God's limitations on how I'm supposed to live with it. If I practice no self-denial, 
no self-control, no limits in one area of my life, I'll eventually not practice it in any area of my life. You can't just turn it on like a switch. Something to think about. But it's possible that my lust issues actually started with my money issues. It really has to do with my limits. And I don't want to embrace God's limits in my life. He says it's folly. It'll corrupt your heart. Remember, he says, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. And then he has this kind of cryptic sentence at the end where he says, don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Don't be over-wicked, don't be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. He says it's folly, it can corrupt your heart, and it can bring you to a place, not embracing your limitations, can bring you to a place of over-righteousness and over-wisdom which he says leads to self-destruction. Doesn't that seem like a weird sentence? Like, how can you be over-righteous and over-wise? Like, it seems like you could never get enough of that, right? I get the overly wicked part, like don't be overly wicked and die before your time. How does over-righteousness or over-wisdom destroy us? Well, the original language there is less about the ongoing gaining of, of learning or knowledge or the pursuit of wisdom, which the wisdom literature would celebrate, right? Proverbs 1, let the wise add to their learning. So you're already wise, keep adding to that. I'm incredibly grateful that our medical professionals have not just said, hey, I guess we're done, you know? We're not going to research anymore, <laughs> I think we've figured out everything we can, and we've hit the limit. We're not going to be overwise in this area, right? That's not what it's talking about. The original language really is, is the usage is to be over-righteous or over-wise is to seem wise to oneself. It's to be over-righteous or over-wise is to think of yourself in a certain way. It's self-admiration. It's pride thinking highly of yourself. It's why it can sit right next to over-wickedness, what over-righteousness and over-wickedness have in common. Because to be overly wicked and overly wise is to have the focus on me. <laughs> I'm self-directed. I'm the one who's in charge. No limits, <laughs> right? There's another proverb in Proverbs 25 that may help us think about this a little bit more. He says this, it's not good to eat too much honey. I'd argue with him on that one, right? It's not good, right? It's not good to overeat, to overgorge, to obsess on this one thing. It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep. So he's comparing those two. Saying just like overeating or overdrinking or you know gorging yourself on some form of food, that same attitude or that same path plays itself out where we say it's honorable to search out matters that are too deep. He says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. 
like a city whose walls are broken through, and that pursuit of understanding or that pursuit of of I'm not going to embrace any of my limits, you're actually breaking down the wall around your city. It's a powerful metaphor. It doesn't really matter to us because we don't have walls around our cities anymore, right? He's saying when I, when I eat too much honey or when I search out matters that are too deep, I'm actually doing damage to myself. He's saying there are matters that are too deep for us. You're human. You're limited. I'm limited. I can't understand. It's like Job, right? Who was, yes, I know. I'm crying on the inside too. No, it's like Job, who was considered what? He was said literally at the very beginning, he fears God and he shuns evil. He, he fears the Lord and he's righteous. He was considered that by God and yet, as calamity comes into his life after chapters and chapters of conversations with his buddies, right, where he begins to eventually start talking over-righteously and over-wise about how he knows what's going on, God finally addresses Job at the end of Job and says this, who is this that obscures my plan with words without knowledge? What's he doing there? He's, he's putting Job's glory... Job's self in check. He's saying, you're, you're drinking from the honey pot here, Bo. You're searching out matters that are too deep. The understanding that you desire, the glory that you desire, that you were made for, you, you, you're not going to find it in and of yourself and trying to push through your own limits, through your own effort, through your own control, through your own performance. The glory that you were made for, the understanding that you were made for, it has to be given to you by me, not found by you. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge, darkens my wisdom? He's basically saying, you're not me. <laughs> and when you try and play your role in, or sorry, my role in your life, it's disastrous. It's like walls in a city being broken down. What were walls in a city for? Walls in a city did a whole lot. Remember when we studied Nehemiah years ago, he wept. Why? Because the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. It's basically, the walls were essential for everything for the life of the city, right? It created boundaries. It was protection. It was, you had to have walls to have an economy. You had to have walls to have justice. You needed walls. They were limitations, and they were gifts, and they were good. And he's saying, when you search out matters too deep, when you eat too much honey, when you don't embrace your limitations, you're breaking down your wall. And when the walls broke, you remember like the orc running into the wall at Helm's Deep, right? One little hole in the wall, right? And a whole bunch of stuff can pour in. He says we do harm when we don't embrace our limitations. So let's talk for a minute or two about if, if limitations awaken this sense of self-preservation, right, control, and not embracing my limitations is harmful, um, how do I start embracing my limitations? And I said the third thing we talk about is embracing your limitations 
begins by being embraced in your limitations. That I have to actually be embraced by something bigger than me to embrace my limitations. He says there, don't be overrighteous or overwise, don't destroy yourself. It's good to grasp one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes, right? We go to extremes when our limits are brought before us instead of fearing the Lord. And he says something really simple there, but it's something we should meditate on in verse 13. Consider what God has done. That's a pregnant little sentence. Consider what God has done. Would you consider that considering what the Lord has done is the first step in in being embraced by Him in your limitations so that you can begin to embrace your limitations? I have to consider what He has done. I have to consider it and reconsider it and reconsider it. That's why we come here every single week. Lord, remind me of what you've done because He's the one who went to extremes, right? Right? He went to extremes so that by faith in him, not my faith that I understand everything about him or understand everything that he understands or that he and I, you know, are buddies shoulder to shoulder working on the world together. Faith in him who is greater than I, not understanding what he understands, I can embrace and even find joy and rest in my limitations. I don't have to be God in my life. Isn't that how Job answered him? The very end, go read the end of Job. God asked him a bunch of questions that kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh wow. Yeah, I'm not you. And Job says this, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Job says, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things that were too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My eyes have seen you, and therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. My eyes have seen you. I've considered what the Lord has done. What did he do? And we have a fuller picture than even the author of Ecclesiastes. When he took on flesh, what did he do? He embraced a limitation. Think about that. He who by and for and through whom all things were created decided to be his creation. He took on a limitation. The Son of God. He took on flesh, a limitation. He became sin for us. Who, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin, a limitation. He took death on a cross that we deserved, a limitation. And Scripture says it was for the joy set before him that he did it, that he endured the cross, so that we might have what? Life and life to the full. No limits. Consider what the Lord has done, because when we do, it's like what he says here when he says, wisdom is like an inheritance. 
what's an inheritance? Any of you stand to get a chunk from your folks? <laughs> no? Everybody's like, gosh, I hope so. <laughs> Y'all need to loosen up a little bit. Come on. We're having fun this morning. Seriously, what's an inheritance? It's wealth given to you, stored up for you that comes from another, and you didn't do anything to earn it, right? That's what an inheritance is. And inheritances, they change people's lives, don't they? Sometimes for the better or for the worse, right? Like, have you ever seen somebody or known somebody whose parents gave them a ton of money, but they never gave them themselves? It ruined them, right? I got all your money, mom and dad, but I never got you. Why? Because of what wisdom is saying here. Money's a shelter, but it's not everything. Why? It's because they needed something money can't afford. They needed a relationship. They needed love. They needed discipline. They needed encouragement. They needed a father. They needed a mother. Not just what the father or the mother had. They needed them. And that's what we get. When I embrace my limitations by being embraced in my limitations, I don't just get everything he's giving me. I get him. (laughs) I get what I really, truly, deeply need to rest. That's why when Jesus in John 14 was talking to his disciples, he was about to go to the cross, and they're all freaked out, right? Because they're worried about the limitations of time they have with Jesus. You're about to leave. We're freaked out. And what does he say to them? He says, hey, this is a good thing that I'm going away because I'm going to give you something, the Holy Spirit. And I know you're afraid of of the limitation of time that we have, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you my spirit and therefore my peace I'm going to leave with you. I'm going to leave you an inheritance that you can literally bring into your life right now that all of the pushing through your limits can't deliver on. Isn't that what we do with our limits? I want to push through these things because if I get to the other side of my limitations, then I can have peace. And Jesus is saying, you need peace that's way deeper than that. You need the peace that only I can bring into your life. And that's what I'm going to give you. I'm giving you an inheritance. We embrace our limitations by being embraced by him in our limitations. And things like peace which is just one aspect of what we get with him, begins to become the inheritance and the wealth in our lives. Last thing I'll say is this. This is just another way to think of it. Proverbs 18.10, I said I read it to us earlier. It says there, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe, right? The name of the Lord is, is a strong tower, Remember we just said that that eating too much honey can literally break the wall of your city apart, right? When the walls were breached in a war, where do you go? Think of Lord of the Rings. When Helm's Deep got breached, where did everybody run? Into the tower, right? It's the highest point. It's the safest point. And what he's saying is that in all the control and all the trying to push through our limitations and all the money and all the whatever, we're trying to deal with our fear and all of that stuff. He's saying we're all running into some kind of tower (laughs) that we're saying this is the place that's going to protect me. This is the place 
That's going to be my hope. That's going to be my strength. And when we're faced with our limits, we run somewhere. And he's saying, run into the name of the Lord. Run into the one that can actually deliver you. Go, go study the names of the Lord. Because the names of the Lord, they're not just like, oh, here I am, the Lord. Go, wonderful counselor, wisdom, mighty God, strength, everlasting father, forever, eternal, prince of peace, the captain of my shalom. It's not prince like little tights, like little, like, oh, my prince. It's literally like a war, a warrior of my peace. I run into that, right? When I'm faced with my limitations and he fights for me in that place and he is my peace. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. So brothers and sisters, we're limited. It's okay. We're human. Um, the enemy's going to invite you to act in self-preserving ways rather than running into the name of the Lord. Uh, run into his name. To not embrace our limits is to do harm to ourselves and to others. Um, and he wants to embrace you in those limits. He's not waiting for you to overcome them. He's comfortable with your limitations because he knows that those are the bridges that oftentimes they're the drawbridges that take you into him. So let's stop despising those limitations and let's start embracing them because in embracing them, he embraces us, okay? Let me pray for us. Lord, it's hard to be thankful uh, for my limitations, Lord. So many days I look more like the extorter, the briber, <laughs> the uh, person who's um, coming to quick judgments or hoping I can get enough money together in order to deal with my fear. And Lord, uh, I just pray uh, for our community that we'd be a people who aren't afraid of those limitations, but even see those as an opportunity to be embraced by you. Uh, we need your embrace. We need your love. Uh, we need your grace. Um, keep us, protect us from the enemy uh, who would love to create a mindset of scarcity that we don't have what we need in you, and so we got to get it somewhere else. God help us. Um, protect us from him uh, who would try to deceive us into thinking such things. Uh, we love you. Uh, thank you that you are the strong tower uh, that we can run into uh, when we are afraid and faced with our limits in your name. Amen.